Hey, what's up, my people? Welcome to the first episode since retirement. I'd like to start by saying thank you so much to everybody that reached out to congratulate me and wish me well for the future. It really does mean a lot. Well, actually, I lied. It means everything. As I've always tried to be a good person and to see how people responded to my news shows I may well just be that. So a big thank you again. I love to all those who braved the blizzard to come and watch our game to show appreciation to not just myself, but to the team as well. You're all kind of crazy, but I'll be honest, I kind of love it. But now I'm a full-time podcaster. Let me get back to business. If you haven't done so already, why not follow us on social media? The handle is kickback underscore Nadum, and we are on Twitter and on Instagram. And also, if you want to know what I'm currently listening to music-wise, links to the kickback playlist can be found in the show notes. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce today's guest. He's a longtime friend and on-field nemesis of mine. He's one of the most talented players of his generation, and he's once been compared to Franz Beckenbauer. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoy my conversation with the little man, Tom Huddleston. Ah, here he is. Chief, how are you? What's happening, my guy? Not a lot. So, still a very big afro, that, mate. I know, this is pre-lockdown number one. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So that was a little while ago then. Yeah. Right, before we get going, you'd be the first person to have to see my new hairstyle. So firstly, tell me, what do you think? You like it? Uh, it's not too bad, to be fair. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. Because I was getting a lot of grief for it beforehand, but, you know, I think it's top, so it's all good. Uh, I've seen you a bit worse. <laughs> right if it's going to be one of those shows just know i'm going to i'm going to match that energy yeah. just just know that okay right so you ready to go yeah right D- get comfortable because you're going to be on a hot seat for a little while huh? yeah no that's good i listened to uh you and gb earlier that was decent to be yeah. oh thanks mate thanks so that makes you an official <laughs> friend of the show then appreciate it yeah what guy gb is though as well right yeah. firstly man how are you no, I'm good. I'm not too bad. You know, so I obviously know you. People, Some people listening know you, but for the ones that don't, you need to try and raise your tone a bit. Like, if you say you're all right, like, say, no, I'm good. Like, have yeah. some emotions. Like, I'm good. I'm Tom Huddleston. I'm good. Like, say it with your chest. Yeah, yeah cool. <laughs> <laughs> and where are you now? I'm back up in Nottingham. Um, my contract finished with Derby the end of June. Okay. So it's been like a long, quite a long sort of three or four months recently, but just keeping myself fit and ticking over. And hopefully once I get signed up to a club, I'll be rearing to go. Oh, we'll, we'll we'll get to that point. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. And I was going to ask how lockdown was, but your hair suggests it's been long. <laughs> so. um, no, to be fair, the, the first lockdown, I just thought I'd leave it and see what happens. Uh-huh. Um, and then my wife's quite, paranoid and anxious and nervous regarding all the COVID bit. So I've just literally, we haven't really left the house or done too much to right. be honest. So okay. that's, that's my excuse anyway. <laughs> You're sticking to it, huh? So we're going to talk about your journey to this point, yeah, if that's all right? Yep, and sounds good. Some, so I've done, I did my research. Obviously, I've played with you and stuff, but I need to do more research, get an understanding. So you were born in Nottingham, yeah? Yeah. You played for Nottingham, Yeah. Yeah, I was at Forest as a kid from eight till twelve. Till twelve, yeah. And you also played. Then you went into Derby's academy. Ended up playing for Derby. But the big question, really, to sort of put you on the back foot immediately, is like, which team did you support? Um, to be fair, as a kid, as a young young kid, you're going to say Man United, aren't you? You're going to say something stupid <laughs> like that. 
I was more of a Cantona fan. Oh, so what? Um, but obviously, Cantona was the first sort of maybe Gaza, Gaza and Cantona in our sort of era were the first sort yeah. of superstars within England type of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but as as like an affiliation with one club was probably uh, Chelsea when Glenn oh, Oddle was the manager. My. So it's a bit. Why are you being so? Bizarre. Why are you being so difficult? <laughs> I'm trying to throw right. you under the bus and you're not letting me. No, Forest let me go at twelve, so it was never going to be Forest. Right. Okay. Not, Notts County and Notts County. Yeah. All right. I see what you're saying. <laughs> so the yeah, thing, it's more. The thing that the thing that blew my mind when I did my research was the wording as to why they let you go at twelve. So. Stop me if I'm wrong here, but they said you weren't strong enough. I don't know if it wasn't strong enough or they didn't think I would be strong enough to make the professional game type of thing. Okay, so, uh, so, so, as far as growth spurts go and things like that then, um, considering you were playing with the reserves at 15, how is it at 12 they didn't think you'd be strong enough? Me personally, I think it, a lot of it was mind games. Um, and then... I don't know, because me and one of my mates who I still speak to now, Lee Holmes, mm-hmm. um, we come through the Derby system together, but for the four years at Forest, we were there together. Mm-hmm. And without sounding like arrogant or anything, those two were quite comfortably the best two players in that age group. Yeah. So it almost seemed like it was, I don't know, mind games. But I had my growth spurt two years before when I was like 10, 11, 12. Yeah. Uh, got the Osgood Slatter's knees to prove it. Yeah. Um, and I was probably pushing six foot then maybe yeah. so that was a poor excuse but obviously they have to give a reason and that was that was the one they came up with yeah it's a wild one because i've had sean Wright phillips on here as well and listening to what they said about him being too small and whatever like they were just they were just throwing things at people back then i guess just saying whatever yeah, just, they needed to and i think i think with mine obviously as i say i was probably 11 years old maybe five nine five ten mm-hmm so the physical side of it, I didn't really have to work on. Yeah, it was more continued progression with the technical side. So even if they had worded it as aggression, because obviously I didn't really need to show aggression yeah. because of my size compared to everybody else, that yeah. might have been more justifiable. But I think strong enough was a bit lazy on their behalf. You know, you've led me into like a, one of my questions, which I had teed up, and it's a bit of a confession as well. So <laughs> throughout my career, yeah. I think I've probably disliked playing against maybe two players, yeah? One was, say, Frank Lampard, because he always seemed to score against those, yeah? But yeah. going way back to when I first started playing the game, the other person was you, because I used to play as a striker, and you were playing centre-back <laughs> at Derby. And I hated, hated, hated playing against you, because I was big for my age, but you were bigger. And it's the only week in the season where I'd be getting actively bullied. And I hated it. It was like a mental block that I had for those years. So there's your I think you, you probably hated it more the fact you were stuck up front, surely. No, don't be ridiculous, mate. That's where all the glory is. I was on, I was on fire. I'd play well for 99% of the games in the season, but that 1% against you, I hated it. So yeah, there's a little bit of flipping ego massage for you. I hated playing against you as a kid. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so how old were you when you um, actually made your debut? I made my debut when I was 16. So, and go on. It was a bit frustrating. Well, I say frustrating, obviously, looking back now and seeing how many people do it, it was understandable. But I was on the bench three times when I was still at school, when I was still 15. Right, okay. So we had like a, 
in the school holidays, we used to, the, the lads that lived further away, they used to put us up in the digs for the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the weeks, I went and trained. Uh, and then on the Saturday, I was on the bench against Millwall away. That was my first introduction that's to quite, football. That's quite an introduction to football, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the midweek was Sheffield Wednesday away. So like 45s in the Hillsborough was mm-hmm. ridiculous. And then Sheffield United at home. Um, and John, it was John Gregory at the time, but he didn't bring me on in any of the games, yeah. which was... A bit disappointing, but I remember he took me, Nathan Doyle, and Lee Holmes as three 15-year-olds. We're, we're expecting to be in the stands as three. Yeah. And he, he stuck me on the bench and left Ravinelli in the stands. So I was a bit <laughs> a bit embarrassed um, wow. at that uh, by itself, to be fair. But I think Ravinelli had his own issues going on with the club, so it was more of a punishment for him rather than... Um, a, a good thing for me, I guess. Yeah, you three, the three people you just named then, I remember back then you three were part of the whole shining light of English football. There were you and a few <laughs> others. But another one who was that was uh, was Milner. I think it was you and him were probably the two people that started the earliest and were playing like lots of games from the get-go. Is that right? Or can you think of anyone else? Uh, yeah, Millie was, Leeds were in the Premier League at the time, so his was a bit more high-profile. Well, uh, yeah. And he was playing, at, playing at 16, to be fair. Yeah. And I think that was... The year that was the year they came down, and then I think Aaron Lennon had broken the team at sixteen in the championship. Was in as well, okay. played a few games, yeah. But for myself, it was literally the first game of the season after we left school. Mm. Um, moved into Diggs full time, a brand new training ground had just opened at Derby, so exciting times. Um, managed to get in a, I think the last three games of preseason mm. was it in with the first team. Came on against Ajax, came on again against Rushton and Diamonds, and then started the last one against Real Mallorca after they just finished third behind Barcelona and Real Madrid. Right, okay. Um, so I was thinking, surely if you start in the last game of pre season, you've got half a sniff of starting the season. Uh-huh. And then to be fair to George Burley, who had a decent reputation of bringing young players through Ipswich anyway, mm-hmm. he stuck me in that first game and I think I missed two or three games over the next two seasons. That, that was all. Yeah. Around that time then, was it quite a young locker room then? Or was it still full of old heads in there? No, it was from like the players I mentioned before with John Gregory, you had your, one of your heroes, probably King Cladsey. Oh, um, King. He's a king, yeah. Uh, Ravenelli, Warren Bottom, Rob Lee, Mop, Poom. And a lot of them, they must have been out. Obviously, I didn't really take much notice, but a lot of them must have been out of contract. Right. So it was like George Burley starting afresh. So it was quite a young squad off of it. And then he brought in more senior players like uh, Jeff Kenner, Ian Taylor, yeah. Michael Johnson. Uh-huh. So there weren't too many in the middle, but he was either he was very young or right. pretty senior. That feels quite rare for that time in football, to be honest, because like when most of the people, like when I was coming through, it was like an old dressing room, like, Recently, I've been looking back at people who I was playing with when I first started, and there's a guy who's 50 years old now. You know, <laughs> it kind of blows my mind a little bit, especially because now we're playing with people who were born past the year 2000 and stuff. So mm-hmm. to know that someone was born in 1970, but then as I say, there's someone born in 2000. But yeah, so by the time you were 18, then you played 95 first team games for a big club. Like people who don't know Derby County who are listening from in America, like Derby County is a big football club. So to have played that many games at that point, like, it is nuts. And do you think that's even possible now? 
I think it's more awkward now. Even if the player's got the right attitude and temperament, I think all the, obviously all the social media stuff, the sort of psychologist and all the data that's picked up with your training and playing, mm-hmm. I think you might play 10 on the spin and then they'll take you out of the team for two or three games. Yeah. Just to give you like a mental and physical rest. Whereas back then it was, I remember going through horrific patches of games and playing <laughs> shocking and thinking when he names a team, if, if I'm not in it, I've got no complaints and I'll be quite happy just to sit on the bench for 90 minutes and watch it. But he just sort of let me play through the bad periods, yeah. which was a good learning curve as well in itself. Yeah. Trust is a big thing, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like you yeah. can't, as a player, you go through so many different sides and you can be on the outside seeing someone struggle and thinking, well, I deserve the chance to go in. But then when you go in and you're struggling, you're thinking, I hope the guy trusts me to try and play my way out of it. You know? Yeah. You always want to play your way out of it. And I think the reason I played so many games in the first two seasons at Derby was uh, George Burley had the confidence in me, preferably to play me in midfield. But if if not, I played probably played, I maybe played, it might have been about 50-50, the amount of games I played at centre-back and the amount I played in midfield. So mm. any injury to the back line, he would happily move me back there and bring a midfielder in. So how much did you have to pay George Burley then for him to say, as a young <laughs> player, he's the best passer I've ever seen? How much did that cost? <laughs> no, no, I, well, I don't know, he could a week for 18, <laughs> yeah. 18 months. I didn't oh, know how much gosh. to give him. Those times were wild. <laughs> Looking back, how, how are we surviving on £80 a week? <laughs> like, what is that? I, I was in dig, so that all your... Meals were provided. The only thing sometimes that was a struggle, um, obviously the other lads in the day, there was 11 of us together. So obviously they had to they had to be in at eight o'clock to do the jobs mm-hmm. and then they weren't leaving until five after the job. But because I was with the first team, yeah, it was like in at 10 o'clock and then you're finished by like two. <laughs> and it was like 12 quid each way in a taxi. So it was like, <laughs> I, nice, I, I didn't even have the money to do that. So a lot of the time I just hang about with the lads helping them yeah I, I, I've got to say so I'm, I'm married now but I was with my wife back then so I used to try and say to her oh, I'll take you out let's go to Pizza Hut let's go to wherever I'm seeing the bill get to like 20-30 pound <laughs> I'm like oh, okay this is getting kind of dicey now yeah thankfully, thankfully refills were a big thing anyway so what exactly was it then do you think about your style of play that worked for Derby in that moment? Because obviously he said you're a good passer, but when you're playing centre-back, I don't think that was exactly the biggest necessity to be playing championship centre-back at that point. Yeah, for sure. To be honest, the when we're talking, that was probably uh, like 16, 17 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> which sounds ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the standard of the championship was has raised a lot from them. Playing centre-back then, it was literally, if it went to any of the opposition full-backs, as soon as they took a touch, you knew it was going down the channel. Yeah. So you'd like, give yourself a couple of yards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it was there, for me, it was comfortable in possession. You obviously had to say, I was right centre-back. You'd pass to your right-back, pass to your goalkeeper, or chuck a cut the odd cross turning. <laughs> The striker jumps off the pitch <laughs> and then, then you give it simple and you look like you probably look a better player than you actually are. But yeah, yeah, I think, I think I've always had a decent understanding of the game. So I think when the championship was relatively predictable back then, mm-hmm. it was quite straightforward to play centre-back. Okay. So one and a half years in then to your career and Spurs coming and by you, how did that make you feel? 
uh, it nearly didn't happen, but obviously at the time I was buzzing. Um, Tottenham then obviously weren't the Tottenham that they are nowadays, uh, but they were still, you had your big four cemented in mm-hmm. Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal. Yeah. And then after that, you had probably Newcastle, Everton, Tottenham mm-hmm. sort of on par with each other. Um, and there'd been rumours with, I think it was Newcastle and Charlton. Um, and then, as I say, I got down to Tottenham, did the medical and everything. I, was, I remember being at the old training ground and thinking, because we were flying in the championship at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was thinking I'd rather get promoted with Derby and play in the Premier League with them. Yeah. Knowing I'm going to, or more likely to play, uh-huh. than sign to Tottenham and sort of be back to square one. Uh, so it was literally, even though I was down there, I was all in an R in, and then I just thought this is, at the time, probably like the fifth or sixth biggest club in the country. Yeah. These opportunities might not come around again. So yeah. decided to go for it. Did Derby get promoted that season? Because you, you played another six months, didn't you? Yeah. I st- I signed in January, but for it to kick in at the end of the season, we we finished fourth, lost in the playoffs to Preston in the semi-finals, and that was the year West Ham beat Preston. Right, okay. But it was one of them. If we had got West Ham, or I can't remember who the other team was, Preston was like our bogey team for the two seasons I played. <laughs> but we played, we beat West Ham twice, and the other team I think we beat and drew with them. So out of the other three teams in the playoffs we would have fancied our chances against the other two more than Preston yeah I see that so what was it like actually playing for a team knowing that you're going to be another team at the end of the year was that difficult was it easy um, towards the end of the season I had a few thoughts thinking obviously I want to leave on a high be in promotion at Wembley because uh-huh. I don't think we could reach the top two but we was always going to finish in the uh, top six Um and I, I probably thought of it as a potential other option. If Derby got promoted, even though I was at Tottenham, I'm sure they would happily let me have a year on loan back at Derby in the Premier League. So, as I say, because it was all I'd known for two years, or well, six years in total, but two years in the first team, um, it was yeah, it was pretty, pretty standard. Even the lads used to obviously give me a bit of banter about it, hmm. but um, yeah, no, it felt felt pretty good and. Because my, I didn't have to worry about my future type of thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to think, oh, I need to play well to get a move in the summer. That was all sorted, so I could just focus on playing. Look at you giving all the correct answers. Do you know when you talk about <laughs> when you talk about banter and stuff? Are you talking like reckless early two thousands banter, or are we talking like more modern twenty twenty banter? No, more twenty twenty. Nothing too ruthless. Okay, cool. Because uh, to be honest, I'm glad that we survived that time because it was a little bit it's a little bit dicey back then some of the things that I've seen and heard and whatever I'm just I'm glad that that's kind of faded away let's say yeah I think five or six years before our time it was very ruthless <laughs> yeah yeah like when you look back at say the crazy gang and all that stuff and think that was just mainstream that's funny that's just what they do yeah imagine stuff which they weren't doing in front of the cameras no exactly yeah I've, I've seen a few of that but anyway let's talk about Spurs yeah so who was the manager when you actually went over there Martin Yole was the manager with Chrissy Uton as his assistant. Okay. Uh, but it was uh, Frank Ornison did all the signings. Okay. And then he signed me in January. By the time I got there, he in the Ju- July, he'd gone Chelsea. <laughs> so, <laughs> cheers, Frank. <laughs> Does it, did it trouble you that like it's 
somebody else that's doing the signings instead of the manager? I didn't really think too much in depth about it, to be honest. I knew he was a sporting director, but because I was still relatively new to the game, I just assumed that it was like a like a mutual thing. The yeah. manager, the director, the chairman, they all yeah. have a say in each signing. But obviously now I'm a bit older and wiser, I just <laughs> realise it don't necessarily work like that. Yeah, for sure. And what were their plans for you like when you were signing? Did they say you were going to play early or you were long-term, you were short-term? What did they say? Um, didn't really say too much. And then maybe I knew they liked me because before before the Christmas, I had already signed like a new contract with a year's extension on it. And that was before playing a game. So they'd seen in, obviously they'd seen me in games to sign me, but they'd seen enough in training that they wanted to offer me um, an extension. Mm -hmm. And as an 18 year old, it was awkward to get in the team because you had Janice, Carrick, David, um, can't remember who else, but halfway through that season, they did mention Carrick was potentially going to leave in the summer, yeah, and it would be sort of up to you to nail that place down yourself. Okay, so why was it then that you were on loan at the start of the first season? There, as I said, it was really frustrating. I was contemplating my decision once I'd, I'd made it, once I was down there. So I'd gone from playing every game for two years with Derby, um, got down there and for the first couple of months, I weren't even in the first team changing room. Really? So yeah, one, as I one said, of those, it huh? was, Yeah, it was at the, old, at the old training ground. So I was in with the reserves, wouldn't necessarily train with the first team every day. So it was like quite a big shock to me, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did find it difficult at times. And then... Yeah, the, the loan move to Wolves come at the right time, to be honest, because I'd probably not falling out of love with football, but getting really frustrated with it. And were you doubting um, yourself? Um, probably a little bit, but the team was doing quite well. Right. So I didn't really have too many complaints about not being in and around the team or squad, but I felt sort of if you paid two, two and a half million quid for an 18-year-old, you should be at least training with the first team and being able to show what you can do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to be fair, all the lads in the reserves and of a similar age, it was a good set of lads. Uh, Clive Allen was coaching. We put some, some good sessions. Um, and we had a Ricardo Moniz. I think he used to play for Holland in the 70s. Okay. Martin, you brought him in as like a skills coach. Uh-huh. So you just work on like mad techniques and yeah. like different types of shots and stuff like that. So the sessions were actually good. You just weren't getting the, obviously the game time and things at the weekend. You know, you mentioned the whole two and a half million pound thing, 18 year old and so on. But looking back now, one thing which I expected too much from our game is logic. Like when things should fall into place, <laughs> they don't fall into place. Like it's run, yeah. <laughs> it's run in such a wild way sometimes. Like I've seen, um, I've I've said this on my show before, but I don't know if you knew this. But say someone like a Harry Kane, for example. So when he was younger, he wasn't this Harry Kane, but he had potential and been scoring probably throughout every age group at Spurs. 
And I've, one of my old coaches had the chance to get him a QPR and he said that he's not good enough and he'll never make it as a player. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm thinking... No, exactly. Like, come on. Like, someone could score 50 goals in a season but not be wanted by everybody because somebody doesn't like the way that they run. You know what I mean? Like, that's That's the thing. It's all... It's like a blessing and a curse, but it, football is just opinions, isn't it? Yeah, like, for sure. literally one person to the next, they could agree on thousands of things and then really disagree on, like yeah. you say, with the Harry Kane at QPR situation. Yeah. Because it took him four or five different loans and he never really mm-hmm. did too much. And then obviously Tim Sherwood gets a job at Tottenham who's had him with a 23s, yeah. knows exactly his strengths and weaknesses. Yeah plays to them and now he's it's no brainer. in the top two or three strikers in the world yeah it looks like one of the dumbest decisions going but <laughs> here's what it is eh? so anyway you, you go to Wolves you're on loan you're finally playing games and I want to talk about one specific moment about your loan which was your first career goal you remember who was against I'm putting through Campy's legs I still remind him about that to this day <laughs> <laughs> was it was it at Derby or was it at Wolves no it was at Pride Park yeah okay so I, what I want to know is did you celebrate I did only for the fact... You're a spicy fella. You're an 18-year-old <laughs> going by. <laughs> I did, my intentions were to... Obviously, I'd never scored for Derby in 90-odd games, so I wasn't expecting to score. Mm-hmm. Uh, my intentions were not to celebrate. And then, as we're playing, name name gets read out, and I'm thinking, I'll oh, be a decent reception. Like I've moved to yeah. a, a, bit, a bigger league and what have you. A few claps and a few jeers, and I'm thinking that's a, that's a bit harsh for someone that's come through your academy. Um, and then, like every time I touch the ball, the more the game was going on, it was like getting booed and stuff. Yeah. And then I remember a section of them singing like "You'll never play for Tottenham" and all this, <laughs> which obviously was in my mind anyway. Yeah. Like, I've been there three or four months, and they've never like been involved in the game. Um. So yeah, it was like, I don't even know what I was doing. I remember it well. I slipped the striker down the side. He's played a back heel inside. And then from like level with a penalty spot, I've just side-footed it, went through Campy's legs. And because yeah. I was running, it was just natural to celebrate. But luckily the lads jumped on me pretty soon. But <laughs> I was just, took me about 100 games to get my first goal. So I was just buzzing off that. It's, it's insane really that you could get booed. And even if you then take that's take that moment outside of football can you imagine like grown men like jeering an 18 year old on the street <laughs> you know what i mean it's it's crazy like it's normal for our game but it's so weird it's so so weird like the club didn't have to sell you this soldier you you were a servant for the club but you come back and it's like now nah, it's the enemy now we, we hate him but, and it's not even as if i moved to like forest or leicester yeah, or local rival it was it's not even affecting anything no, <laughs> uh, but the, the 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 fans like I miss that. Obviously, fans make up a big part of the game, and I do live for those moments where you can sort of get your own back against the fan. But the yeah. way the energy they bring, like you'll sing and you'll never play for Spurs, like okay, that's hurting your feelings. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> You're trying to be a good pro and stuff, but like, oh god, why is he saying that? That's not nice. But anyway, you had um, so you had a couple a couple of seasons later when you get to Spurs, you've got Martin York comparing you to Franz Beckenbauer. Like some of the listeners of the show are too young to understand, but you should Google Franz Beckenbauer. So, how does that make you feel where somebody's comparing you to a legend like that? No, obviously, being like a a bit of a football geek myself, I was a big 
not that I've seen him play live, but a big Beckenbauer fan in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I do think that comparison got a bit, I don't think he meant it like that. I think it was just the position. Right. So he felt he could have played me in the middle of a back three. Yeah. as like an old school sweeper. Mm-hmm. But equally, say in possession, me step in front of the two centre arse is like a number six. Yeah. Um, I think he meant it that way. But it's, um, the same, it's the same thing though. It's literally the same yeah. thing. You, you're trying to separate yourself from France, but you're basically describing what he did and how he saw you as being the same person, being able to do the same thing. But yeah, no, I was, as I say, I was buzzing. Um, it was a big compliment. Um, but yeah, I was obviously hard to live up to them type of yeah, comparisons. Of uh, do you know, look at you trying to be humble here. Like, I don't know many people have had that type of comparison. So fair play to you. And even to this day, Anyone that's not seen you play, but then they see you for the first time, they they expect you to play a certain way, and then you just dazzle them because you're an absolute baller. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not who. You, no, this is a different player. So yeah. Anyway, eight seasons at Spurs, you end up playing 209 games. You play in the Champions League, the UEFA Cup. You're in the Premier League. You're doing all this good stuff. You get 16 goals, 30 assists. That's not bad, to be fair, considering you were once in the wrong dressing room before before yeah. at the start of the season. That's not bad, is it? No, it's, when I look back and sort of level it out, obviously 209 games over eight years doesn't sound great Yeah, for someone that's played like, say, 95 in but two that's, years. But that's the thing, you were an exception? Like, you were an exception as opposed yeah. to the rule? But even my time at Spurs, like, so the first season I made four sub, or two, two or four sub-appearances. Mm-hmm. So that's almost the season yeah. wrote off. And then I'd like... I think I played four games over 18 months when I did my ankle. So it's sort of 209 in, say, six seasons sounds more yeah. respectable and a lot better. But yeah. yeah, we did, as I say, from when I first went to Tottenham to when I left, obviously not down to me, but the club was challenging to top... Well, we finished top four maybe three times, which had never been done before at Tottenham. Mm-hmm. The wage structure and the signings were not on the level of any other club in probably the top half of the Premier League at the time so I, f- I think we did we did well and I enjoyed my eight years there to be honest and how and do you think you did well there um probably could have been better and you're always giving this I've got to pull you up here you, like listen we're, <laughs> we're friends here this this isn't for a tabloid like we're, we're being open here people like it when people are open now you can yeah, say no, you're my... giving the official answer. You're giving the protective answer first off, so you don't get in trouble, and then you're expanding. Just now, expand. my official, what I think was once I first was playing, like at Derby, the, like one of the first names on the team sheet. Uh, I think I played 35 of the 30, 38 games when we finished fourth for the first time. Okay, so I felt a big part of it. Um, and then the following season, playing in the Champions League. Um, and captain in quite a few games if Dawson Ledley were injured and that's when I felt I'd nailed my place down I was like almost in and around the England squad um, what was that then probably 20 23 so I was at a good age to sort of kick on Yeah. and that that's when I sort of missed the 12 to 18 months with my ankle so right. I think the timing of that was r- really bad and then when I Got back fit. Harry Redknapp, that had played me for sort of two years, had left. AVB had come in. And it was sort of, even though you've been here seven years, you 
you're back to square one kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And obviously, after 18 months out, you're generally playing catch-up with form, fitness, and bits of everything. So it was a tough, tough last year because I felt, I, for what I'd done at the club previously, I thought I deserved more of an opportunity under AVB. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe in hindsight, if I'd stuck it out another six months when he had left, I feel I would have got them opportunities under Tim Sherwood for yeah. sure. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So overall, then you're saying you had a, you did well there. You've ended up playing. You came considering you came from Derby. You were a schoolboy. You're doing whatever. You've ended up playing Champions League. You then got capped for England while you were there. You've captained a team in the Champions League. You finished in the top four. So basically, what you're saying is you did very well. I did very well, but the time of the ankle injury could have it could have been okay. a lot better. All right, there we go. You always throw in a button. Man. <laughs> I'm trying to big you up, and you're still throwing out the butts. <laughs> So one thing about Spurs is that it's very hard to mention their name without discussing Arsenal. So what was playing in that rivalry like? Like, And did you ever end up being on top for seasons or was it mostly a case of Arsenal being on top? For large spells, it was Arsenal on top, unfortunately. Especially, so my first season was that uh, lasagna gate at the end of the season. <laughs> oh, that's, a classic, got... that's a classic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, were you at West Ham? We, were you away at West Ham or was that Arsenal? Yeah, we, no, we was away at West Ham. We was one point in front of Arsenal. So we just needed to beat West Ham, basically. Um, they were home to someone that they were going to beat. And it was like, this is the first time in X amount of years that yeah. we can finish above them. And yeah, we we got poisoned or something happened anyway <laughs> in the hotel. Everybody out on their feet. West Ham beat us 2-1 or 2-0. So we finished fifth that season. Um, but yeah, they had a very, especially when I first went there, they had a very good, like solid team. Mm-hmm. Still had like Torre, Adibayor, um, Gilberto Silva, Fabregas, Clichy. Um, it's a name, but it was like It was like a proper yeah. sort of team of men type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then to, towards the end, they got a little bit like tippy-tappy type of thing. And yeah. We did. We beat them in the semi-finals to of the League Cup to get to that to the final. Um, but I think generally in the league they usually had the better of us, unfortunately. Did they? You know, it's funny looking back at the Arsenal team because, like everyone remembers, Asamenga coming in, the style of play, and this, that, and the other. But think about how much grit it need you need to go a whole season unbeaten. You know, mm-hmm. like you can play well, but it doesn't mean you're going to win every game, as we've seen for the past few years over here. And looking yeah. back at the Arsenal team, it's not like they were winning every game 3-4-5-0. They'd be going to Old Trafford and winning 1-0 and stuff like this. And, you know, it might have more possession. You know, they were they were men, exactly as you say. So how does the North London derby then compare to the Forest v Derby uh, battles? Then? I do always find this one awkward because the Derby Forest one means more to me. No, but you were a Chelsea fan, though? I thought you were a Chelsea I, fan. No, I grew up in Nottingham and played for the hobby though. So <laughs> okay. I know what it means to everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah I see that. <laughs> um, and even playing for Forest against Derby as a kid and then vice versa, it was, it all, you always raised your game an extra sort of five or 10% even as a kid. Yeah. So for, for me personally and my family, that one means more to me. Um, atmosphere wise, I would say they're similar. I think the, the night games at White Hart Lane or the old White Hart Lane, sorry. Like the atmosphere is like ridiculous, especially against an Arsenal or a Chelsea. Yeah. Um, obviously, the 
I never actually played at Highbury, but the um, atmosphere at the Emirates is nothing to shout about, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to distance myself from what you just said then. And I'll, say, I'll refer it because I did play at Highbury one time and that was that was incredible. That was very early in my career. I remember thinking like, this didn't, it didn't feel real. Like arriving there, seeing the clock and all that, and then you're walking out and you're seeing Thierry Henry's, Patrick Vieira, yeah. all those people. I was like, okay, this is different. So what would you say the best thing was about playing for Spurs? I think now just being a part of the club's history type of thing. Um, for traditionally a massive club in England, um, some of the players I've had down the years, like Hoddle, Gascoigne, and Lineker, mm-hmm. um, and I think to to be like a focal point in the team that finally got into the Champions League spots as well. To be honest, that's probably the most successful. Um, also. Unfortunately, it's still the last trophy they won when we won the League Cup in 2009 or 8. 2009, I think. Okay. Who was it against in the final? Chelsea. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Which, that... again, that was one of the first times Tottenham had beat Chelsea in like 20-odd years, I think it was. Yeah, it's crazy to think how successful the team is, but then how they're missing certain things as well mm-hmm. is wild. So which of the coaches that you had there got the best out of you? I'd have to say Harry Redknapp. And why was that? More so, with Harry, it was a case of him not doing too much on the training pitch, him just signing certain players to do what he signed you for. Yeah. So he almost, play off, like playing off the cuff really, just doing what you're good at. Um, and as I say, we had a good team. We had, obviously, you know, Choluca well. Yeah, yeah. So we had him, him behind Leonard, which was, a brilliant combination because Charlie never wanted to overlap. Yeah. He was happy to stay behind yeah. Aaron and let him attack the fullback. Mm-hmm. Um, Asa left back, who without a few injuries for me, could have been one of the best left backs in the world. Yeah, I played with him as well at QPR. He was there for a little bit. Yeah. Dors, Bassong and Ledley is like, and Kabul, who's mm-hmm. like your four centre-backs, which is good. Mm-hmm. Any team with sort of Modric and Bale is going to be half it's, decent. It's not too bad, yeah. <laughs> and then, obviously, Harry loves Crouchy. And Crouchy is good for us, to be fair. Yeah, Crouch, Keane, Pavlichenko and Defoe, I think, at the time. Right. Let me ask you a tough question then. Um, so, with that team, and this is this is a bit loaded for me because it's going to relate to something I, I want to talk about shortly. With that team, if you had a more hands-on manager, do you think you could have been more successful with it? Hmm... Potentially in the odd game, but then if you think when we finished fourth, it was probably it would have been like Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal finished above us. Man U and Chelsea were spending whatever they wanted. Yeah, but we're talking so about much. team matchups now, though. You're trying to talk. You're trying to relate it to how much was being spent, but in the matchups, in terms of how the teams were, do you think you could have been um, finished above fourth? I don't think we could have. To be fair, really? I think we would have. Yeah, I think. Sort of pound for pound, we was probably at our limit, which really? is with Modric why... and Gareth Bale, yeah, Real Madrid. Yeah, legend. Modric. Oh, but one Real Madrid the... legend. One Real Madrid legend. Yeah, go on. Modric, half of the season was playing on the left wing, and it was me and Palacios in the middle. And I think once Asuacoto got back, Bale moved to the left wing, and Modric come in central midfield with me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I just think I think we was, as I say, we're probably close to close to our limit. I know Crouch is unbelievable, but I think to push on, you think Manu had Ronaldo, Tevez, Rooney. Mm-hmm. Um, Chelsea was like Anelka, Drogba, Lampard scoring 20, 25. Yeah. We didn't have that one person that was getting you 25 goals a season. So was that two seasons before Bale went to Madrid then, or was that the season when he went? He didn't go that season, no. So it was a year after he had the unbelievable games in the Champions League. You were still there then, yeah? Yeah. Um, I think he, it was three years after that he, he left, actually. Right, okay. So was Harry not there when he was at his prime then, or was it a different coach? Uh, no, Harry was there. Harry was the manager when he was in the Champions League and he scored the hat-trick against Inter Milan. Oh, yeah. The one that ended Maicon's uh, whole Korean legacy, yeah? Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> awkward. <laughs> and, and then, obviously, Harry again, when we we finished fourth, Chelsea finished fifth, but they beat Bayern in the final, so they got ah, the Champions yeah. League spot. Okay. The, the, re- um, the reason I was asking anyway, before I, before I forget, was because he came to us, I think it was at QPR I think was it off the back of being with you I'm not sure but he came anyway and he did the thing again where he'll recruit people but now in this instance instance, he didn't have the same talent level as he had at uh, Spurs so for long periods while he was there it wasn't really working because he couldn't just leave it up to us because if he left it up to us like we were a disaster (laughs) you know what I mean but he still kind of persisted with that and he would bring pieces in and I think it worked more in the championship where it almost felt like that year You'd contribute to certain things and whatever, but you you know what Harry's like as a person. But we got promoted f- through the playoffs, but I felt like we should have won the league based on the squad that we had. And yeah. I was wondering if there was a similarity between, say, us in the championship that year and you in the Premier League the season when you say you were at your, you were close to your peak or whatever. Um, but I know you don't want to throw him under the bus. So I, yeah, I no, I think one. Or, I know what you mean, but I think one or two more pieces within the squad and potentially. But I think. From what we had, um, I think, as I say, I don't think we could have done too much better. Okay. So while you were there, then you've who would you say the best players were? You've mentioned the Bell, you've mentioned the Modric, but who else was uh, was in that mix? For me, uh, Berbatov. Oh yeah. As I said, being a bit of a football geek, I used to watch all any football that was on the telly, and some of his goals he scored at Leverkusen were Especially, like ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And he, he come in, he's got like the best first touch you'll see, mm-hmm. finishing ability, never like smashes the ball. It's always outside of the boot or inside. Yeah. Uh, don't recall him using his left foot too much. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like the strength of him. He looks quite gangly and skinny, but you could never shift, it, sh- yeah, yeah. never shift him off the ball. Um, but yeah, I just thought he had the, on and off the pit, he had the class and, I always say Berber was probably the best at that time. Obviously, Modric and Bale have gone on to do unbelievable yeah. things, but at the time, for me, Berbatov was a standout. And what was your best me- best uh, memory there? Probably either winning the League Cup, which as probably a 21, 22-year-old, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, these days come around every season, it, like, <laughs> it's fine, you know what I mean? And, then you get a bit older and you realise you're probably taking them for granted a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so probably that or even though we lost the game 4-3, I was 
I was captain for the two Inter Milan games in okay. the Champions League. Okay. Uh, so to be captain in the Champions League at the San Siro against the reigning European champions was special in itself. Right then. So, eight years later, why did you decide to leave? As I say, I just felt missing so long with injury and my last year with AVB on paper, I played 28 games, but I didn't start many of them. Right. And I was just, I was, well, I was growing my ear until I scored, so that was getting out of control. Uh, yeah, that, that, got, that got out of hand, yeah. How long was it? Two and a half and years? It, <laughs> two and a half years, yeah. Yeah, that's outrageous. Um, but yeah, I just felt, coming up like 26, 27, I just felt like I needed to be the first name on the team sheet and almost feel a little bit more appreciated, really. So why did you choose Hull City? Or did they just choose you? Because obviously it was for a fee, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that was the thing. People always say, oh, surely you could have signed somewhere better than Hull, but... Listen, just for the record, I didn't say that. You've said that. I no, did not say people... that. Don't call me people. People minus one. I did not say that. Um, but yeah, Hull and Sunderland agreed a fee with Tottenham. Went to St Pancras Hotel at the station, met, met up with Steve Bruce. And obviously, you see from his interviews, he's quite, can be charming and sort of, he was just explaining to me how he wanted me to play, um, the system he prefers to play and stuff like that. I knew a few of the lads there as well. Um, and then that evening, I had to give Decanio a phone call. <laughs> and that was like my first first proper dealings with the transfer really because the derby to Tottenham was quite straightforward yeah um, so I ring Di Canio expecting him to tell me and sell the club to me like Steve Bruce did and he's like so then what do you want to do and I'm like um, well like, how, do you, what, how do you see me fitting into the team and he's like I want to play 4-2-4 and you be one of the two in midfield is like the transition from the back to the front uh-huh. And I'm thinking, I don't think the squad's good enough to play this system. <laughs> um, and then he was just quite blunt with everything. He was like, well, I've waited two weeks. Um, I need a decision now. If not, we're going to have to look at other options because the season starts in a week. So like, let me know. Whereas Steve Bruce was completely the opposite. He was like, I'll leave it with you. Like, this is, I want you to play this role with this player, that player, we should be bringing him in and blah, blah, blah. And it was just complete contrast in management styles. Yeah. Do you know, there's a lot to be said for that, for that moment when you do have to go and speak to the prospective coach or whatever that you'd be having, you know, like, because I had Steve Bruce as well. And when I spoke to him before I went, it was a similar sort of thing. He gives you confidence and he, he, yeah. you feel like you really wanted there and you really mm-hmm. wanted there by the person who makes all the decisions. You know, instead yeah. of like, well, it's business. Do you want to do this? Do you not want to do this? Blah, blah, blah. You know, like that, that made, yeah, that made a big difference for me. But the irony was that was when he went to Sunderland and I enjoyed my time there. Whereas he obviously <laughs> had the cameo there, which was um, a different matter, let's say. So when you uh, you went to Sunderland or when you were in the process of going to Sunderland, obviously Steve Bruce is Hull. talking about, go on. Going to Hull. Oh, sorry, to Hull. Yeah, going yeah. to, sorry, my bad. Yeah, going to Hull. Steve Bruce is obviously talking about how he wants you to fit into the system and so on. But what were the actual goals for the club at that point? I think first and foremost was just staying in the league. Like any, obviously the lad the year before had grafted and managed to get promoted when they were one of the favourites to get relegated from the championship. Yeah. So, not that he said, oh, 
our focus is just staying up. But I think once you've played a few seasons, you know know the crack and know if we can finish 17th, like we'll take it now um, and then try and progress after that. But another big thing was I knew Hall were interested in Livermore as well. So if if I signed permanent, he was coming on a year's loan. Um, they just signed Curtis Davis, who I knew well from the 21s. Yeah. Um, Liam Rossini was there. Obviously, I knew Robbie Brady, James Chester were there, who had, had come through the Man United Academy and had good reputations. Mm-hmm. Whereas Sunderland had just signed, I think, 12 or 13 players that window, and none of them had ever played in England. Well, that's a problem. So I was, I was thinking, like, don't get me wrong, it could go unbelievable for them, mm-hmm. but it, equally, there's probably more chance it it will go the other way. Did it go the other way? Do you remember? Both teams stayed up that first year. Right, okay. And then the the year after we went down and they stayed up, I think Poyet went in and did like unbelievable towards the end of the season. Yes, yes. So, again, you've got those goals. Steve Bruce said what he said. But what were your own personal goals when you were heading up there? Because this now appears to be the first time that you're in actually more of a dogfight for survival as opposed to be trying to push Arsenal, Chelsea, United and all this. Like, what were your personal goals then? My personal goals were, first and foremost, to play every game and try and be the best player on the team um, in every game. Um, that so go, sorry, going back the year before, <laughs> which shows how the FA used to be. I think it's changed a little bit now. But I had had I missed eighteen months with injury, played like four or five games for Tottenham. And there's a couple of in- injuries in the England squad. And it was after we played City away, actually. Got the phone call, oh, you've been called into the England squad. And I'm thinking, I'm not even close to like full fitness here. Yeah. I played two, nine, two 90 minutes and missed X amount of time. So when I went to Hull, I thought, if I can get in the team, play well in the Premier League, I might have half a sniff. I'm still 27, 28. I might still have half a sniff of getting back in the England squad. Um I probably played some of my best football in that first season, mm-hmm. but was like, I don't think Roy Hodgson ever or anyone from the FA ever came to watch a whole game, to be fair. Isn't it mad, the psychology of it all? Like, it doesn't matter how you're playing sometimes. It matters how you're playing and where you're playing. Mm-hmm. Like, to have, it, it's obviously great if you're playing for a big team because you will always have eyes on you. But I also remember a point where we, uh, when I was at Sunderland with Steve Bruce, we played, Chelsea, uh, we beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. And before the game, he was saying, listen, if you ever want to be acknowledged for anything, you need to be playing well and winning games down here. This is where people come and watch. And, you know, England manager was there and people were there and it was a talking point. Whereas if that game was being played at Stadium of Light, listen, nobody's watching. And it's a a (laughs) shame because it can be the same game on on the same grass, but, you know, the mentality is just so, so different about it. Um, So one of the biggest moments then, during your time there was when you went on the FA Cup run, yeah? Were you, firstly, were you playing throughout most of that? Nah. You weren't? I had, the, I had a few days off in the early rounds, which were welcomed. Right, okay. But I you were playing towards the end then? Um, I came, my first game was the quarterfinals at home against Sunderland. Talk about privilege. Talk about <laughs> privilege against Sunderland as um, well. But yeah, the first round was like, South end away mm-hmm. on like a Tuesday or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot the next one, but like 
without being rude to any of them teams, it was almost a, a perfect draw throughout the whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like, was it might have been Southend? Oh, I can't remember the next round. And then anyway, Sunderland, and then Sheffield United in the semis at Wembley, and they were they were a League One team at the time. Right. Okay. So we were thinking. We're in here. Yeah, like we just need to almost just need to turn up, but it didn't quite work like that. No, it never does, does it in a one-off game? But considering most teams like start cup competitions with just hope, and you know, with all to be completely honest as well, some teams don't really care for cup runs at all, do they? You know, like no. we we some people talk a great game, but they're just lying to themselves. <laughs> um, like we even this this is me because I'm retired now. This is me just confessing things. <laughs> I've, I've been I've been involved and I've seen some cup games. I think it was the League Cup, where uh, it was a one rounder, but nobody wanted a replay. So a score mm-hmm. is like one 0 and you start to see certain teams just like take the foot off the gas because they just don't want to score to try and take it. So there's another game, you know. Yeah, a lot of teams would rather lose than yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's 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 a sad thing to have to say, but it's definitely a thing that was going on. And then also with some managers, you know, they try and say they're taking the cup competition seriously, but then they make eleven changes for it. So you know, yeah. like. Both things can't be true, but anyway. Uh, but yeah, as I say, considering most teams start with hope, at what point did it feel like it was more of a reality that you could actually go all the way? Was it when you got to the quarters? Was it was it the semis or was it the round before that? Um, I think it was more the quarterfinals. For a club like Hull, it was a case of... We're playing Sunderland. We had a decent record against Sunderland. Mm-hmm. And it's like... If you win this, you're at Wembley for the semi-finals, which I don't agree with personally. Yeah. But uh, as you say, once once you're at Wembley, anything can happen in a one-off game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it sort of got real. We beat Sunderland, and like the fans invaded the pitch, right. even though it was still only when would that be February, March? Time? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's still a bit. You're a few months away from the end of the season. <laughs> the fans are just buzzing that they've got another like a day out at Wembley. Mm-hmm. You know, are you against the Wembley thing because you're an old school purist and used to see it at Villa Park and at Old Trafford? Yeah, I just, I just think it takes a little bit away from the final. Right. Okay. I think the final should be a one-off special Wembley, and that's it. I think playing both semi-finals, it just takes a little bit of the edge and sort of the specialness away from the one-off final. Mm. And what were your memories like then from the final? Did you, you played Arsenal, didn't you? Yeah. Do you think he deserved more or did it did he go the way it should have done? I think we deserved more. We played we played well. The following season when we watched the video back, we kept the ball for like we played like a three five two type of system. Yeah. And we kept the ball for like the first six or seven minutes. Um got a corner, nearly scored, went out for another corner, scored from that corner, and then we scored again. So after like 15 minutes, we're 2-0 up and we're thinking... Unbelievable, huh? This is it. For, for us, as a club, and as I mentioned before, with the League Cup, you think, oh, it's going to come round year yeah. after year. But being in that position towards my late 20s, I was like, realistically, this is my last chance to win a, a major trophy. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking, we just need to like see it through. <laughs> um, and I never, never felt in any doubt that we was going to... Once we was turning up, I felt really confident. And then one of our centre-offs gave a stupid free kick away about 35 yards out. And Cazorla, I don't know how, but goalie side, 
Yeah. Has bent it, bent it in the top corner. Yeah. Just, just before half time, which for me, that was, it didn't feel like it at the time, but looking back, that was the turning point. I think if we get into half time, two in the lock, yeah. uh, we're able to see the second half through. Yeah. Even, oh, painful to talk about this. <laughs> I can see this. I can see in your face. <laughs> um, even in the second half, I didn't, we were, we were full of confidence. We had a system that suited us. We had the back five in place, sort of three midfielders and then one just like a diamond and then one striker. Um, and I really didn't think they were going to get, get an equaliser. Yeah. And then they managed to get one. And obviously once it's an extra time, yeah. we're all, we've hit a brick wall. <laughs> They're bringing on like Riziki, who's got 100 caps for Czech Republic yeah, and yeah. Wilshire's coming on. Yeah. And you're just like thinking, if we can get this to penalties, then like we've we've done done ourselves proud. But just wasn't to be yeah, that it. was heartbreaking. Yeah. Let me talk about uh, a major throwback here, turning points and things like that. Yeah, from when you take leads, I think uh, it was 2000 and I think 2007. We were playing in the European Championships. Yeah, I think that was the year where Italy were in the group. Do you remember? It, mm. I think Kieran Richardson was playing since 2007. I think you would have been playing because you're Tom Huddleston, so of course you were playing. <laughs> and I think we might have taken like a 2-0 lead or something. And I'll never forget this because it haunts me to this moment. I remember, because we were playing quite direct for the first like 10-15. And then Kieran Richardson says, right, come on, lads, let's put a foot on the ball now. Let's try and play. From that point, it was the longest <laughs> 75 minutes of my whole career. That was the turning point. I was thinking, oh, we've cracked it. Let's just go and out play them now. I think they finished the game. They must have had 30 to 35 shots. 20 on target and I thought right okay let's... yeah that's the thing you've got to stick to your game plan for as long as possible yeah we yeah I'll never I honestly will never forget that moment but we were I think we drew 2-2 or 3-3 or something in the end and I just thought oh, thank god we got away with that one <laughs> but anyway so what was it then that um worked so well in the in the cup competition that year but you meant that you still struggled in the league was the cup just like a special thing where you could just get up for one-off games or what was it as I say, personally, I only played the three cup games anyway. Yeah, but they're, they're, you know, so, you're the you're the prime time player. You know what I mean? You're not going to come in the third, fourth, fifth round. You're only coming in the quarterfinals. But yeah, I think knowing what was at stake in them games, so you know, and if you win the quarters, you've got a big day out at Wembley for a club the size of Hull is like unheard of. Um, and then in the semis, it was a different type of pressure because you're playing. Your Premier League team, and you're playing a League One club. Yeah. You're expected to batter them. Yeah, okay. Um, and I f we were two one down at half time, and it probably could have been four or five because we were shocking. Right, okay. Um, and I think it's the one time, <laughs> and I probably wanted it for years. But when it happened, I know it's not for me. But um, the physio, you remember Rob, Rob Price? Yeah, he was with the Twenty Ones. Uh -huh. He was at Hull. And he was close with Brucey, so he knew, often he knew what the team was likely to be. Mm -hmm. And he said to me on like the Thursday, oh, I think I think the gaffer's just going to say to you, sort of play where you want, just go and get on the ball as much as you like. Mm. So when he's put the team up, he's got, normally it was like me, I say Myler and Livermore either side. Yeah. And then he's done it this time, and it's them two deeper, and me as like a number 10. <laughs> 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 so... Obviously, leading into the game, I'm thinking, oh, buzzing, got no defensive responsibilities. I can go and get it off the left back. 
like long balls off the strike, I can get the pieces and what have you. Not realizing that Sheffield United like play out from the back every time, use their goalkeeper. Yeah. So I didn't didn't know whether to press the center off. <laughs> Normally I'm like filling gaps and screening the striker and stuff like that. And it was just even though it's only twenty yards further forward, it was completely alien to me. Yeah. Um didn't feel like I touched the ball in the first half. And then thankfully, second half, he, he reverted back to what we've been used to. <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny, man. Because, you know, I always dream of playing the 10 as well, but <laughs> I don't think it's for me. <laughs> so the next year then, so you stayed up that year, but the next year you went down. That's right, yeah? yeah. And in, if you want to talk about margins and say the difference between success and failure, the only difference between the season you stayed up and the season you went down is two points. But the consequences are so, so great. Like what the next year stopped you from getting those extra couple of points? Like, or was it just similar and you just you were just unfortunate? Um I think maybe as players and as management staff, I think everybody probably got carried away a little bit, to be honest. From right. we weren't great in the league in the first year, don't get me wrong, but we stayed up with maybe three or four games to go, which is relatively comfortable. Yeah. And got to an FA Cup final. I think we finished on 38 points the first year. You can say 37 is a fact, but you can say 38 if you want. Well, 37. <laughs> Crystal Palace finished 11 on 41 points. Right, okay. So we're thinking, towards the, as I say, towards the back end, when we knew we had the final coming up, Brucey was make, resting a lot of players. Right. So we're thinking another couple of wins and we could be like in the top half of the table. Yeah. Um, and we went from like a quite a British group, hard-working players and what have you. And then the following, so I don't know if it was last minute or panicking, we signed the army. It was unbelievable for us, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gaston Ramirez, who couldn't really stay fit, but was more of a flair player. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Arthur came in. Yeah. So it was almost as if Steve Bruce had got away from what had got us his success. And thought, oh, I need to add, add a bit of flair to this. Yeah. yeah, and it just... Obviously, with the FA Cup and Arsenal finishing in the top four, we qualified for the qualifying rounds of the Europa League as well. Mm-hmm. So everyone's thinking, oh, we're, we're going on a European tour this year. <laughs> we're in the Premier League. Yeah, We're, we're signing flair players to go with the grit that we've got. But yeah, it just didn't, yeah, didn't materialise, really. And so it was the... You would, two years in the Premier League to start with at Hull before you went down, yeah? Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how did you personally perform under that pressure then of being a team who's closer to the bottom than one's closer to the top? As I say, the first year was just refreshing and felt almost like I was the main man in the team. I could do what I wanted to to an extent, as in get on the ball and try passes or shots or whatever I wanted. And then the second year, I don't know. I think we just, everyone found it a little bit more difficult. We'd probably been found out by other teams a little bit as well, mm-hmm. knowing that we're more in a defensive structure and hard to break down rather than being too expansive. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the times, now even that second season, I thought I thought we'd cracked it, <laughs> okay. which was we had four game, four or five, four games left. We beat Crystal Palace on the Saturday 2-0 beat Liverpool on the Tuesday at home and we were like 
that should be enough here. Yeah. Um, and that was the year Leicester won eight of their last nine games to stay up. Yeah. So it was like, we were playing second to last game. We had Burnley at home, I think. Um, and we probably just needed a draw. But they they beat us 1-0. And it was like a shocking performance. If any of us had half-performed that day and got a point, yeah, it might have seen us over the line. Mm-hmm. And then last day we had... I think we needed to beat Man United and somebody beat Newcastle at St. James's Park or something like that and it just didn't happen. I think that was the year then where, I think it was his QPR, we finished bottom or second bottom. I think it was, was it us, you and Burnley that went down? Uh, yeah, that's the thing. Burnley were already down. Yeah. And, and then, they, yeah, they beat us. I swear to, to last game I don't of know the if season. You, I don't know if you're the same as me, but at Christmas that year when Leicester were bottom of the league, like gone, I said I said they're down. Like I wrote them off. I literally wrote them <laughs> off. And then a year and a half later, I'm watching them win the Premier League. And I was thinking, nah. And, uh, what was it? They won well, eight eight of the last nine, I think it was in the league. But yeah. even like the last fifteen games was ridiculous. Yeah, it was. It was annoying to be honest. It was annoying. Yeah, because like you've just <laughs> you've just seen them for six months be nothing, do nothing, and now with the same team but just a slight tweak in formation or whatever, they're like mm-hmm. the best team in the Prem. <laughs> but anyway, would would you say you felt more pressure playing for Spurs to try and win something or for Hull trying to stay up? Probably say Hull to stay up, to be honest. Okay. And then after you go down, you've now got the pressure of a promotion push. Like you have to go back up. That's all the talk based on the squad that you have, the money that's invested and so on. And, you know, it, thankfully it came through the playoffs. But did you prefer when you were at Hull being the underdog or being the favourite? I think I preferred the underdogs, whether that's the full package because we're in the Premier League and stuff. Yeah. But that year in the Championship, like you're saying with um, Harry and QPR, I feel, and I love Steve Bruce, but I feel with a different approach, we should have won that league by 10 points yeah. or something because yeah. we had Alan McGregor in goal, Odebaggio, Dawson, Curtis Davis, Andy Robertson, mm-hmm. myself and Livermore, Snodgrass, Klukas, uh, I forgot the strikers, <laughs> and Hernandez actually, he scored 20-odd goals that year, mm-hmm. and Diarmi is like a number 10. It's not bad at all, that. So for that team in the championship, and even the ones, like we still had, not that he played that often, but Big Harry Maguire was like your backup centre-half. Yeah. David Myler that had been there for years. Um, so yeah the squad depth was unbelievable I think we probably should have done even though we did get promoted in the end I think we should have been in the top two places for sure yeah I see that so as I say you get promoted at Wembley which is you know because you win at Wembley it's light work for you it means nothing you know. <laughs> but which felt better the League Cup win or the playoff win there probably the playoff win just because of my age um, my contract was finishing then as well okay and it was a case of if we don't go up we probably won't be offering you anything <laughs> right okay one of those <laughs> um, and as I said being relatively young with a league cup you was expecting and thinking oh this will happen another two or three times in my 20s mm-hmm. uh, but not as simple as that so probably the 
I think the appreciation is definitely there for the playoff win. Yeah. So which, um, looking back now, which, or just in general, your perception of it, which game is bigger, the League Cup final or the playoff final? I think the playoff final, you know. Um, uh, yeah, for me, the, I'd say the playoff final over the League Cup. Yeah. Uh, I think the League Cup's been, lost a lot of credit and respect down the years through managers in the early rounds, making 11 changes, um, putting loads of kids out, which is good for the development of the kids. But I think it just takes a bit away from the, the trophy itself. And I think the excitement of the playoffs, a, a team could be like 12th in the league yeah, with like 10 games to go thinking, oh, we can still nick in here and get promoted. So I think in the playoff game is, is massive. You know, as well, um, we keep talking about what it's like to win a trophy. But I think for perspective, I think the feeling of potentially losing a League Cup compared to losing a, a playoff final, you know, mm-hmm. losing that playoff final, man, like, nah, I wouldn't wish that. Oh, I would wish it on my worst enemy, but, but just a normal person, no. Because losing, seeing the bright lights of the Premier League ahead of you, you've mm-hmm. worked hard for 46 league games, two playoff games, you're in the final everything could change. Your career from this point could be solely existing in the Premier League. <laughs> You're talking about new contracts, new this, new whatever. <laughs> and then you lose. And then pre-season is now three weeks away and stuff like that. Like, yeah. nah, that's that's just not the one. So the next season anyway, unfortunately you got relegated. Um, and looking at you now, I was going to say, no, no, I'm going to say it. That must have been around the same sort of time when you start getting grey hairs and things like that. You know, when you're trapped There's in that no sort of, No, nah, I can see a couple when you're trapped in that sort of yo-yo fire, yo-yo <laughs> position. But just to put a bow on, say your time at uh, Hull, what would you say your best memories were there? I think, obviously, winning the playoff game, getting the club back in the the Premier League. Um, yeah, I, I did. I just, throughout the four years, I did enjoy it. Um, I think I'd maybe, in London for the eight years, I got a little bit, maybe comfortable in the area I was living and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So to go 200 miles away, yeah, which obviously to the American and listeners, just, that's nothing. Won't, that's won't to the bottom of the state. Yeah. Within England, it's quite a lot. Um, yeah, just, and that's when me, me and my wife first lived together when we went up there. So I think the old package, yeah, uh, enjoyed the four years, but pro- the playoff, even playing in the FA Cup final actually as well, yeah. Even though we didn't win, but for people our age or older, the FA Cup final, end, last game of the season, end of the season is like a massive highlight for everybody. Yeah. So probably winning the playoff game, but being involved in the FA Cup final is special as well. You know, I've, I've kept you for so long and I've still got so many more questions to ask. So I'm just going to, I'm going <laughs> to fire through certain bits here. Yeah. And with all due respect to the team, I'm not trying to be rude, but say you, you then leave Hall and you go back to Derby. Who, firstly, who was the manager there at that point? Gary Rowett. How did it feel when you went back? Did it feel the same or did it feel like a completely different club? It felt very different in the fact that when I was there first time, a lot of the players in the squad I had played youth football with yeah. from under 13s upwards. I played with quite a lot of them um, but I was coming back to a, a changing room that was geared up ready even though it's never, it hasn't happened but the squad then was 
geared up for promotion. Yeah. When I looked at the squad, like, I had a couple of options, but the Derby squad on paper, you had two players for every position that yeah. you you knew and that were well thought of within the game. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of championship clubs, you might have 11 or 12 players that are like that and then the rest you might might never have heard of. But mm-hmm. the Derby squad was big and we probably should have done better. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think for the years, for the last maybe, to, to be fair, probably since they left the Premier League last, they keep looking like the team that should go up, they should go up, they should go up. But it's not happened. Obviously, I've had something to do with that, beating them in the playoff final one time. But <laughs> yeah, and, and they should go up. I, I, hope, I hope they do at some point. Uh, and just one question, one more question about Derby. When you got back there, did the fans welcome you or was it a little bit more hostile now? No, the fans were sound when I went back, to be honest. They were good. Oh, that's good. Um, well, I'd managed to squeeze a few games down at Tottenham, so they couldn't sing that anymore. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple, huh? Just a couple. So Derby then was the last club that you were at, yeah? Uh, yeah. You've, you've, meant, you've spoken to us earlier about how, you know, you left there in July. Like, firstly, did you did you want to stay on for longer or was it just like just a mutual um, mutual thing? No, we'd, we'd spoken about extending the contract. I'd spoken to the manager about potentially coinciding that with a little bit of coaching maybe once a week as well going forward. Yeah. Um, which did sound quite interesting. He wanted me to take maybe three or four of like the under 16 or 17 year old midfielders and put sessions on for them, uh, which sounded good. We just couldn't agree on a contract um, for like, various different reasons. Um, and then, yeah, since then, just been a case of keeping myself as fit as possible, waiting for the right phone call and hopefully being able to sort of get in somewhere and rather than have to do a mini pre-season by myself because I've kept myself in yeah. decent shape. Get straight in. If, yeah, if I can train with a team for a week or so and then be be able to play. You know, it sounds nuts hearing you talk about coaching and stuff like that because obviously, you know, we are older, but, you know, for the special career that you've had and your good health now and your great ability and all this stuff, I don't like hearing you talk about the other side. So let's not think that you're looking to <laughs> just dip into coaching just yet. And I don't know where you're looking to go, but if it ends up that the MLS is somewhere that you're interested in going, just I'll let you know for a fact. I think you'd absolutely smash it over here. So we'll we'll see what happens next. Right. So anyway, some more some general questions, yeah. And I'm I promise you, I'm going to try and wrap this up within the next 24 <laughs> hours. So, um, do you, I could talk to you about England, but you're a big star, so I'm going to skip that bit, yeah. Actually, no, I'll relate to this. Would you say it was harder playing in international games or playing in high-level club games? I'd say the club games, especially, as I say, at the time, you had Man U, Liverpool, Chelsea, definitely. The three clubs there for seven or eight years were getting to the semi-finals, finals of Champions League sort of year in, year out. So I think them games were massive. You had Sir Alex Ferguson, Mourinho, yeah. uh, Wenger and Benitez, like four of the most iconic managers in the history of football. You could say that. You could say that. Um... But the international games, I never really... I remember playing one against Japan for England and they were really sharp and pressing and that was quite tough, but... The yeah. other ones are more laid back and low-key. Okay. Um, what's motivated you the most throughout your career? 
Hmm. I think initially was probably to earn enough to make my family settled, um, to do my family proud. And then I think the older you get, it's more like a self-pride thing. Yeah. Which sort of the last couple of months, it would, especially with the weather in England, it would have been easy for me to not bother going to do my runs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I know once I do sign at a club, if I go there and I'm out of shape and I'm not fit or my touch is not how it should be, I'll just be doing myself a disservice and almost embarrassing myself. So I think self-pride is is a big one. All right then. So as a free agent, what have you missed the most in the last few months? I think the competitiveness of training, wanting to win five-a-sides or win at two-touch. Yeah. Um, obviously, having the banter in and around the changing room is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, being able to perform at a weekend. I think the first couple of weeks, it was all new to me. It was my first sort of break yeah. from leaving school. But then, definitely, once the season started, and it, I thought I would have, or my agent would have found somewhere before the season had started, and I would have been in and settled, but that wasn't the case. Um, so yeah, I think as much as I love watching football, a lot of the games I watch, I think I should be playing or I could easily be affecting yeah. that game for whatever team it may be. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, the, the banter and the competitiveness, but um, miss, missing out on just training and having a daily routine as well. You know, I'll be, I'll be very, very honest with you here in clearing on this with listeners as well. You've been one of my favourite teammates to play alongside because it made my game better because all I had to do is defend and someone said, just give it to Tom. <laughs> Please enjoy this ball. Do whatever you want to do with it. I'll just be back here looking over things. Um, so a final true question is what do you want to achieve in the, in the rest of your career? That's the thing. I, I still know that I've got a lot to offer on the pitch and off the pitch. So last no, year at Derby, no, you've yeah. got nothing. You've got nothing off the pitch, mate. Just talk about on the field. <laughs> so I mean, playing wise, but equally, we had a young squad at Derby, and I feel speaking to a couple of them off the training pitch mm-hmm. is able to give them a, little bits of advice that I've developed throughout my seventeen, eighteen years playing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I still feel physically and mentally, like these last three or four months of mentally, I know I'm not ready to retire yet. And physically, all of my runs I'm recording and my timings are as good. And as you well know, I've never relied on my raw speed. So that was something that was never going to leave me. Um, so if anything, with oh, more God. experience and more fitness and my game should be better than ever at the that's, moment. That's, I'm sure it will be. That's hilarious. I think the fact you called it raw speed as well is just set, that sent, me, <laughs> sent me over the edge. <laughs> All right. So now it's time to give the listeners, the regular listeners, what they want. And at the end of the show, I always ask people for their like five aside teams of players that they've played with. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask that of you today. So what would your top best five aside team be? Uh, 
I'm not going to include, I only made four England caps. So I'm not going to include none of them because I didn't really play properly with them. Ah, okay, yeah. All right. I'll let you, yeah, okay, yeah, that's fine. But, yeah. Just club, club players. Go, then, yeah. yeah, club players. Um, he gets a lot of stick, but for me, especially in a five-a-side system, Aurelio Gomez was... Right, okay. Like, when I do my 11-a-side team, however... You take him out. You go, Lloris goes in, but for me, it's literally a flick of the coin between them two, for me personally. Gomez would make saves that nobody in the world would be able to make, yeah. but he would he would make the odd mistake that you would wonder how he's made that. Listen, no one's asking for an in-depth response to this. I just want a five-a-side <laughs> Right, then him, Ledley King at the back. Yep. Who, if it would have been... The best thing. Unreal, yeah. 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 Midfield two, I'll go for Modric. Don't need to say too much about him. And Moussa Dembele. Yeah, 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 yeah. Snake it. Because you ain't ain't getting the ball off them two. Yeah, (laughs) that's a fact, Uh, yeah. Striker. Um, in my 11 aside, it's Keane and Berbatov but I think for a 5 aside, it might have to be Defoe Defoe okay okay do you know what that's that's not a bad team at all that's not a bad team at all but <laughs> to twist it they can't all be from the same team so now you're going to have to bring in someone from Derby and someone from Hull so who are you taking mm. out and who are you putting in I uh, put Rooney up top. <laughs> oh, yeah, you snuck it, didn't you? Yeah, you did. I see what you did there. I see what you did. Yeah, even though he's playing midfield now. Yeah, sure. Uh, false nine, false nine. False nine. Um, over Hall. Uh, but I'll put Dawson instead of Ledley because he'll throw his face and head in. That's a fact. every shot possible. That's a fact. What a good guy. Shout out to Dawson. Right, so... With that team that you've created there, who would you love to um, who would you love to play against, like a rival team or whatever? What do you mean? As in, say, for me, for example, I'd give out my fantasy five aside team, and I'd want to play against. I'd love to beat Man United's five aside team. You know what okay, I mean? um, uh, probably Chelsea. I think Chelsea. Okay. You, yeah. you are fully on board with it. but then this was the team you supported as a kid but now all of a sudden because you play for Spurs you hate them now <laughs> no I don't hate your, I don't team, hate no your team fluid mate I don't <laughs> like it and where where would the game be played which stadium which stadium has been your favourite even though the atmosphere is not great I do like the Emirates it did, I remember when Emirates first came to be and I was playing there. The field, the grass was like nuts. You could go and do a warm-up. It's off and off, isn't it? Is that what it is? Because you go and do a warm-up, yeah, like destroy the pitch, come back out for the game. It's like nothing's yeah, happened. It's perfect. Yeah, I think it's like Destro stuff or something. Yeah, it's, it's special there. Special there. But especially... Etihad was always nice, actually. Wow. Yeah, you know, it was also some good... Especially when you're scoring half from the edge of the box. <laughs> <laughs> you know how much that goal annoyed me, by the way. I'm, I'm just, we've gone this far and you've not mentioned it, but now you've decided to mention it. Congratulations on scoring against my team. Good for you. Good for you. But that's it for me now anyway. So thank you for your time. And I'm looking forward to seeing you playing in 2021, as I'm sure the listeners will be as well. And just listening to you, just listening to you talk about your career and stuff like that. Like, it's not bad. It's not bad. I know you won't say it, but it's not not bad. And I'm sure there's more to come as well, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure, man. Well, you take care of yourself. Have a good lockdown. Have a good Christmas and then, yeah, get ready for 2021 because it's going to be a busy one for you and a quiet one for me. 
Perfect. <laughs> right, take it easy, man. Speak to you later. Cheers. Thank you. Bye, man. So there you have it, the little man, Thomas. I hope you enjoyed hearing about his career so far, and I can't help but think that there's a lot more to come. But now to close, let me say a few thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And thanks for sharing our episodes with friends, as we are growing really nicely right now. Also, thanks to Ryan Hell for another production masterclass. And thank you to Mountain Air Studios, Draper, Utah, for allowing us to use this incredible space. One final thanks is for you. Thanks again for listening. And be sure to stay safe and stay tuned. <laughs>